welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 36, and I'm with the lovely and talented Alexandra Sheldon. Welcome. Good to see you, as always. Hello. Alexandra, I've known for, I don't know how many years, eight, ten, six, something like that. She is a friend and wildly talented mixed-media artist. She lives and works in Cambridge, Massachusetts, she has what I would call as an untiring pursuit of the freedom and discovery inherent in the creative process. So she offers online and hopefully eventually soon in-person workshops, private lessons, and she also exhibits in galleries across the country. So she's really a passionate teacher and she is a disciple of meandering and wandering and focusing on the process of creation that offers the feeling and expression of freedom. So, so glad you're here. Thank you, Nina. One of my first questions is, how did you go from being a landscape artist to a mixed media collage artist? I was I was 40 and I was living in Northampton, Mass. And I was in a Whole Foods and I ran into an old friend that I'd known from art school, Joyce Silverstone. And she said, oh my God, Alexandra, did you move out here? And I said, yes, I moved out. And a few days later, she called me up and she said, I'm supposed to teach a class at Snow Farm, which was then called Horizons in Williamsburg, Mass. And her son was starting school and she was supposed to teach a collage class that lasted five days. And she said, I can't teach it. Could you teach it for me? And I immediately said, no, I can't. I have two boys starting school the same week. And we hung up the phone. And then I thought, hmm, I just moved to this area. This would be an amazing foot in the door of a wonderful art organization. So I called her back and I said, yes, I'll do it. Now, I was not a collage artist, but almost all artists, photographers, drawers, filmmakers, painters, everybody likes collage right like almost everybody I know does some collage fun so I thought well, I've done collage over the years I think I try and teach it I was terrified I had never taught I never taught in my life and um it so happened that I got one of the biggest groups I've ever had at Snow Farm I think I had 12 people which is usually you have about eight or you know six seven eight nine but I had 12 in the smallest studio which was their little tiny jewelry snow barn space and it was also a really hot week in August end of August and I felt in love with it. I fell in love with sharing my passion for making art, but also just having fun again. And that landscape painting was a passion of mine. It still is, but it started to get not fun. It wasn't fun enough. I needed more fun. So I'm curious as to where, how did you put this together? Where did the ideas come from for that first class? Did you just make it up as you went along? I did, although I was warned. Um, Joyce warned me. She said, be over-prepared rather than under-prepared. Like have, have, you know, the snow farm is a kind of an intense place to teach because if you do a five-day class, you are in the studio with your students five hours a day, like nine to 12 and two to four 30. It's a lot of so I just I don't know I you know I had just made collage along the way and I just had sort of an idea it came really naturally to me I teaching came naturally to me as an older person as a 40 year old why do you think and, that is um my mother is a teacher and she said that teaching sometimes happens to people when they get older because if you have a passion it, it's kind of natural to want to share it it's a contagious thing it's just like you sort of just want to um it's it's also sort of a lonely life to be an artist and I've been an artist for a long time and all of a sudden I was with like 12 people and making things and and they're all women I hardly ever have male students although I do have some male students um but not very many but it's like just making things together in a group it's like maybe like washing clothes on a river or making butter in a on an Australian home front you know it's butter day you get together with eight other families right. women quilting I know the geese bend quilts exactly uh, yeah, yeah yeah so what do you do you ever think about wh where your ideas come come from or what it is is that fountain of re infinite resources I don't know what to call it but where do your um, ideas come from I know you can get inspired by things obviously but where yeah, I, of I often get inspired by other artists actually so I recently went into a gallery and saw this guy's collages they were quite large kind of collages on canvas and apparently he's an art handler so he moves things from museums and, and he had made paintings of like some of his heads from ancient sculptures and then he collaged them as shapes kind of like a, a like a pile of rocks but they're like all these heads sort of ancient heads but then he also had the small child and he was copying his daughter's paintings and collaging those in and the whole thing was just so freaking playful and beautiful and fresh 
fresh. And I just was completely inspired by that artist's work. So, I mean, I just saw his work about a week ago and I can't stop thinking about it. So I might try and like go look at his work more, learn, go online, look at his website, see how he ticks. And then I might make a class sort of inspired by mixing uh, sculpture, like forms of the figure with abstraction or something. Um, but, you know, I've been at this for a long time. I'm 64. So I've been teaching collage for 24 years and I have so many things, but I often do a theme class on another artist. Like next week, I'm going to do a class on Diebenkorn. And of course, that Diebenkorn was so connected to Matisse. So it's going to have to have Matisse and Diebenkorn. So I'll read all about them and know their history and, and share that with people. And then have people make collages emulating Matisse or more probably Diebenkorn. But, you know, and all his techniques, I know them very well and I love them. So that's inspiration comes that way. One of the things that I think stands out in your teaching is when you're teaching uh, workshops is the connection that you have with other artists and how you bring in the historical aspect of making art into the present moment. So it's not copying but it's emulating right right can you say some more about that because i know that's a that's a distinction i think in the way that you teach your work yeah i kind of believe that everything is collective uh, my brother is a musician and he once described um he described to me that some musicians believe that about like less than two feet above their heads there's this sort of collective stream and if they're playing they sometimes are able to get out of their own ego self and tap into sort of a collective stream. And I just feel the same thing about the, the fine arts. I feel the same thing about painting and collage and mixed media. And I really don't see any difference between collage and mixed media and painting and silk screening. And I think they're all viable and important art forms. I think I think cooking and gardening are art forms. I, I don't think anything is more serious or more better. Or, you know. But I do believe in this collectiveness of making art. And you know, when I was in my 20s, I went to three different art schools and I had a big belief system that I was going to be an important New York artist. And I had a lot of snobbery and I had a lot of judgment. I felt sorry for my teachers because they were teachers and they were not being famous artists in New York City. And it's like, I've really been around the bend. So, I've, But I also have a very classical training. I have a lot of training. And I think that's something that's been really fun for me to to, to teach mixed media, which is sometimes about really messy, letting go stuff. But I don't let, I don't forget that it's still about light, movement, color, space, form, story. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, that it's just been a really good fit for me to discover this stuff. I want to go back to something that you said a minute ago about that collective stream. Do you think it's out there or do you think it's in here? I don't know. But I do know that artists on one end of the earth and from another, often we make things that are similar. Things come up, things kind of people that might never have seen some work. It, there's There are collective threads all the time. But I, I think what I was going to say about the fame was that I let go of becoming famous a long time ago. And one of the ways that, one of the things that helped me with that is just to feel that I am an artist with many other artists. Like a musician is, you know, there's, there's the Bruce Springsteens and the James Taylors, but there's a lot of other musicians that are great, like my brother. And yet, does that make us less? No, not at all. And does it really matter? I mean, it is nice to make money off of what you do. You know, that is, that's, it's nice to sell your work. Those are very nice things to have happen. But I think the, the collective emotional, spiritual piece, I think it's inside and it's outside. And it's just that we, that's how I want to, I want to be happy for people that sell work and not jealous of them. And I belong to a cooperative gallery and it's been a wonderful experience for me because we really are happy when somebody else sells a piece. We're all on, on the same team. And it's, it's a gallery that uh, has almost gone under under the past year with COVID. And so we're all, it's like being on a baseball team. You just root for other people. And I love that. Yeah. And I root for my students. And I just, I don't have any criticism of my students. I mean, sometimes they want more criticism. They're, they're like, you like everything. Could you be more critical? And I can be more critical. In my family of origin, forget about it. I spend one hour around my mother or my sister and I get, you know, 
all kinds of stuff flares up. But I have a peaceful relationship with students. I don't know why, but I do. Well, I can tell you why, just from my experience with you, is that you are so supportive and you are eternally pointing out what's good and what's different and what's unique about a person's work, no, no matter what level of artistry they have. And I think that's that's really important because all you need to do, if, especially if you're a younger artist, is have an older artist, more experienced, come in and say, oh, that's crap. Oh. You shouldn't even be bothering. And we've Chris, all had that experience. Ooh, so hard. I'm, I'm partly an artist because I had a great teacher in high school. You know, I, I raised children. So I, I saw, you know, when they're teenagers and if they just get one one teacher who's really kind and just and encourages something and it's just that's it. It can be I can just like you're fixed them um i mean like a photograph is fixed in, in a, you know when you're making photography like i just became an artist i was there were a couple of women who helped me as a teenager and inspired me and then i was just off and running a couple of things a couple of words in particular come across when you're teaching and one is playfulness one is messy one is freedom so mm -hmm. how would you put them into a description of how you teach how you make art so when i used to do landscapes i felt like i knew exactly what i wanted I would be looking at something and I would kind of have a feeling of what, what I wanted to paint. I was relating to the landscape. It was a big relationship with me and the world. But the kind of work I do when I do mixed media and I teach mixed media and collage is a really different process. I believe in warming up. I believe that you get loose as you warm up. So my teaching always begins with some kind of warm up exercise to immediately get out of the head, get stop thinking, stop being critical of yourself, just start using the body. It's very physical. It's almost like being a dancer. And so um, that, if I do a two, now I'm just doing Zoom classes. So I, if I have a two and a half or a three hour Zoom class, it's like we really start cooking toward the end of the class and everybody is just making. And there is this, you, you kind of leave yourself and then maybe you go into that stream. Because I think that's, imagine a jazz musician. They say they just have to play they have to warm up and they have to be with each other and listen and they're playing and they're connecting that I think is what happens when I'm teaching I feel it with a group it can be in my studio the way I used to teach or on zoom it's ha it's very feels good on zoom too I mean I, it is I, good I know there's some really nice aspects of being everybody in their own studio comfortable they can go get their tea they didn't have to drive anywhere but <coughs> The, the, what I love is to get out of, I think of it as getting off the hook of having a certain expectation and just stuff starts happening. And I don't even feel like it's me anymore. And there's a great quote by a great artist named Philip Guston. Philip Guston died in the uh, early 1980s, very important American painter, um, amazing painter. And he said that he would go to a studio and he would muse about his life and be thinking about his life. When he started working, he'd think about everybody in his life, and then they'd all leave, and then he would leave, and then he would paint. <laughs> and I, that just, just describes it perfectly. There's a kind of, um, the looseness comes from leaving your, your thinking self. And your body, you know, I just always encourage people to have consciousness of what their feet are doing, to, you know, roll their shoulders out, maybe stretch, stretch their hands out. Like our body is so part of making art. And this, especially this kind of art. Um, and, and why would we do it if it wasn't fun, right? So getting loose. And I also try to get people to forget about making something good and see making all art as exploration. Like, let's explore this technique. Let's make stuff without trying to make finished work. And that sometimes is a problem with my classes, because sometimes people are like, I have all this stuff and I have nothing finished. <laughs> so sometimes it's like, Every once in a while, I have to like help people figure out how to finish things. Yeah, I, I remember that problem distinctly. <laughs> You could see my table back here. I have stacks of paper from your Zoom classes. What's going to happen with this? It's true. I have so much stuff. But I every once in a while, I just go through all my piles of papers and I make collages. I make collages and I don't have to do very much. I just I'll sit on the floor and go through these piles of things. And I just find these beautiful papers. You know, like, I'll just lean over and, you know, like, here's this beautiful paper. Mm. This is a silk screening thing. And I also just love these. Um, I love these. Like these are what I call catch-alls. Catch right. Yeah, and the cat. This is a special catch-all because this was on a class 
called the limited palette. So there's the catch-alls. It doesn't have every color in the kitchen sink. It actually has like eight colors. So it's kind of fun. And then, you know, stacks of things. This is a, a method using tape where you, you put down masking tape and paint around it and then peel the tape off and you make these really cool shapes. This is unfinished stuff, but I have a lot of fun combining some of these papers. So when you combine them, you're not thinking, right? You're just saying what wants to go here, what, what would look good. Here and it doesn't involve any analysis or. I think that some of the analysis is 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 so natural for me. So it's it is kind of an energetic thing. Like I'll pick up it if I look through my piles of paper, I might find some beautiful little thing, and then I just start to think, okay, what would go with this? And people are very opinionated. I mean, everybody is. Like if I shop with my son's girlfriend, I'm like, well, do you like this? No, I don't like that. I don't like that. She's like, she just knows what. And then when it, she does like, you sort of get this feeling like, yeah, that one might work. But it's also a lot of problem solving. Like, this is too busy. I need more simple. I need something that's like air. I need more space. I need more, you know, I have, I have so, many, so much line in this piece. I need something that's like a, a ground. And of course, in my class, as you know, Nina, we do a lot of grounds. <laughs> and then we come up with millions of grounds. <laughs> more unfinished work. But it's pretty funny. So... What gets in the way of that playfulness? Because um, I think that's a really important question. And I, and I think, and, and you have, I, and I have had this conversation before, is that the same things that get us stuck yeah. in the creative process are the same things that get us stuck in life. Uh, what gets in the way, going back to the last question, they're kind of related. So what helps is to always problem solve. Like, is this piece too dark? Is this piece too light? Is this piece too tonally the same? Maybe I need more contrast. What doesn't help is to say, I stink. I shouldn't even be doing this. Why am I doing this? Like that, that those are dangerous questions. I just try to always try to corral people to problem solve. And you know, like just working and listening to music and having a cup of tea and having fun, going back to something fun, maybe doodling. Like I sometimes come in here and I just let myself cut colors out of magazines and just look at colors because I sometimes I, I don't know what to do. Like I have found that in art making, it's not what to do. It's sometimes what not to do because there's so too much choice. It's like, so for example, if I travel, I take when, when I used to travel, which has been a year, I would just take a Ziploc bag with a bunch of cut, cut out cool papers or painted papers from my studio and a glue stick and a little pair of scissors that I put in my suitcase. And then I would just have so much fun making art in a notebook, making collages in a notebook because there was such a limit of choice. I'd have one magazine from the airplane or from a museum and a newspaper in Spanish or something. And, and then and then when I get to my studio, there's I can do anything. And then I just don't even know what to do. So that overwhelmedness is something that gets me. I get overwhelmed. I teach a private client every Monday and I spend the whole day with her at her studio. I've done this for 12 years and I adore her and she pays me well. And we have so much fun. We never stop laughing. Even during the, the COVID, not, I guess for not the first three months, but then we've, we've worked since September. And for me, she, she often wants me just to play because that inspires her. So I get paid to play, which is sort of amazing. And sometimes I feel like I'm a drudge because I'm washing her brushes and, I'm, you know, it's like, what am I doing with my life? Kind of some, every once in a while I ask myself that. But mostly I, I'm limited because I'm at her studio. So I only have a little pile of my own painted papers and I get really inventive and free at her studio, more so than in my own studio sometimes. So this is kind of confounding all this stuff. But isn't that, isn't what you're saying actually just another validation for the idea that when we we can be even more creative when there are limits put on what we have available to us totally and i have a sign i have a sign up in my studio right here it says the freedom of limitations i've done whole classes on it i also have something that says this is another thing that I, I love. Don't try to analyze and create at the same time. They are different processes. That's like amazing. Don't criticize while you're making. And I heard that Ann Patchett, the writer, she said, when you write and when you edit, they're two separate processes. If you mix them up, you're get really messed up. And that's kind of true for making art. Like just make art, maybe look at the clock and say, okay, I have an hour. I'm going to make art without being critical. I'm just going to be busy making art. Okay. Then you come in the next day and you get your cup of coffee and you, you then you can analyze it and you put it up on the wall and you think, 
mm, but not so good to start saying, I stink. Why am I even doing this? Better to say it lacks light. How could I put some light? Something light, a light shape needs to go into that. So it's problem solving. Yeah. And that, that sounds so, I'm using the same word again, freeing, because I think so much of what happens in the creative process is that we get in our heads these these uh, loops of thinking that are not neutral. They're not about problem solving. They're about our personal worth by looking at what's on a piece of paper. And right. that's so, just so deadening that you can see why people don't get very far. Aside from the fact that we're all taught when we're little, most of us, oh, you can't do that or you're not, you shouldn't try to be an artist or you shouldn't try to be. I know. My, my sister was the designated artist in my family. And then everybody was like, Alexandra's a writer. And then I was like, I think I want to do some art with the writing. And everybody's like, no, no, you're the writer. And then it's so deadly. All this stuff is so deadly. Yeah. So how have you gotten to a place where you're not entertaining those mental demons? I'm not. I, w I always have my mental demons. And it's kind of a daily practice. Um, I don't get rid of my demons completely. It's just like if you've ever meditated you know that there's just, you just kind of have, it's part of being human. You're just going to be a screw up half the time. Or as I've heard it, a lovable mess. Yeah, exactly. I do love the Artist Way book. And I started the Artist Way when I was 40. So it was this, actually it was maybe when I was 42, but I was, I just started teaching mixed media. The Artist Way book is very helpful. It's not helpful to read it. It's helpful to do her program before you, the, now I read it, but I, she has a 12 week program, but the idea of doing any writing when you get up in the morning, like five minutes, three minutes, it just sort of helps with creativity because creative people often think they have to be completely creative or not at all. So it's like, I have to have a studio in New York City, or I have to get divorced because I can't, I need to be alone to really be an artist, or I have, I'm too old to be an artist. So it's hopeless. You know, I can't use my basement space. It's too dark. So I can't be an artist. But it's like that kind of thinking is, um, it's better to do a little bit, you know, it's, it's like do half an hour of something creative, 10 minutes. So what's your definition of creative? I think it's making things and feeling happy when you make, you know, like the kind of joy. My husband loves cooking. Um, he doesn't like it when I cook because I take it away from him and he wants to cook. I think it's also because he gets a, he likes to drink wine while he cooks. So that's part of it. <laughs> but um, that's his joy. Gardening and cooking is a joy for him. For me, I feel so happy if I've made stuff. I just feel good. I feel like it was a good day. I feel that about walking in nature, being around animals, being outside is important to me. Uh, exercise. There's certain things that, you know, reading poetry or the things that I, you know, watching movies, the things that I enjoyed, the things that make a good day. Making art is, is a passion for me. And what I've seen is that you bring all of those things that you love into your space, into your art space, and you're sharing them. And, you know, I, people who've heard this before from me probably are getting sick of this statement, but I remember reading once in a book by uh, uh, Brenda Euland called you yeah. yeah so she has this quote that was purportedly by Vincent van Gogh who's writing a letter to his brother and he's in his little garret lit by a single candle and it's freezing and he's writing to his brother with a cheap pencil on yellow paper and he's describing the view from his window he at some point he puts the writing part of it done and he puts a sketch in right in the middle of the letter and he says it's so beautiful I must show you how it looks mm -hmm. well he's you know, he was a great writer and anybody, you know, if you just read any Van Gogh stuff, it's just like amazing what he writes. So beautiful. I love that. Like the reason to exist is to show others what you see as lovable and beautiful. Even it's, if it's not technically artistically beautiful, it's that kind of expression. Yeah, you have to talk through you. I, this is so beautiful. I have to I have to paint it because I have to describe it. Um, you know, E.B. White, the wonderful writer, he said that if all his words that he ever wrote were boiled down to one phrase, it would be, I love the world. And I think that just says it all. It's like, you know, sometimes it's also hard to, you know, there's times where I'm in a panic because I can't, it's like, I love the world, but then, then what do I do? <laughs> 
sometimes it's overwhelming and, and teaching mixed media, I'm always teaching different techniques. Sometimes it's like, I get, I kind of spread myself thin. You know, I, I wanted to say another thing that I learned, which was that I fell in love with art making as a teenager. And I was 13 and I was, I was carving little erasers and stamping patterns onto paper for gift wrap at Christmas. And I was listening to George Harrison. And I was like, found this piece of listening to music and making something for somebody else because it was for my family. I was going to wrap presents with this block printed paper. And then, you know, I fell for this wonderful art teacher when I was 14. And there was a there was a big social component to my creativity. Listening to George Harrison, listening to music, making something for my family, having an art teacher, being in school, then going to art school, which is like a beehive of activity. What was hard for me were the times where I was alone too much making art, like landscape painting out in a field for a whole day by yourself is really tough. Like I wasn't so sure I wanted that life. And after art school, there was a lot of loneliness because I was I lived in France and I was painting um, alone. The artist's life. I, it was the art. It was a lot of alone time. And then I had a family, so that was really great. And I think as my children started to grow up, when I was like forty, then. I found the teaching. So there's always been this sort of balance of social with the art. And if I get too isolated, not good. Um, in the past few years, I've done some landscape painting that combines mixed media and abstraction with landscape painting. But the painting I've done out in my car, and it's really like four hours sitting in a car painting out the window. It's really, really lonely. And people think you're kind of weird. And it's like the whole thing is the process isn't that fun. Although I'm passionate about, I do love, like, I love painting trees. And then I guess there's, you know, there's sort of hard aspects to anything you do nothing is all super joyous I sometimes like if you talk to theater people they just seem like they're unendingly happy but I, I don't know you're on adrenaline a lot of the time <laughs> I know but anyway yeah you know what I hear in in what you're you're sharing is well I put it under the umbrella of connection is that you are deeply connected to life to family to nature to animals to that whole generative process and your work is a way of expressing that it's absolutely true and I I, I had an awareness in my late 20s that I actually didn't want the life being in a big studio alone in New York City. I wanted a family. I wanted to make art from my life. I didn't want my life to all stem from my art. And and I, you know, that was a pretty big decision to have a family because I had a lot of success in my 20s. I had some amazing experiences. I had a museum show and I got a grant to move to Europe. And But then I had a family and that kind of put the brakes on a lot of things. And I never regretted it ever. I never regretted having a family, but I had a lot of sorrow for not painting as much. So, you know, but I did never, not one second did I regret having the kids. I, ha I have an ambition, but teaching feels so effortless. It's so, it feels so fun. I can't wait to teach. I can't wait to start a class. I'm eager to start a class. All the energy comes in there. It doesn't always come in with my own work. I have to say, sometimes that's the battle sometimes still. Sometimes that's the battle. Yeah. Teaching is easier for me. I think it's easier to teach than to make art. Well, one of the things that I sometimes uh, struggle with, I have to admit, when I'm taking one of your online classes, is that you're so fast. I know. If you could only see beyond the screen here, you would see it would look like a tornado had <laughs> come through. <laughs> Everybody tells me I'm too fast. I've got it. I really have to listen to that. I do want to say, though, that during the pandemic, I had an instinct as a teacher to massively distract people. Yeah. Well, I keep like a really intense pace to really, I don't really, I didn't let people talk about politics. I tried to, today people started to talk about the vaccination in my class. And I was like, I brought it right back to a story about Sigmar Polk and it, it kind of related politically, but it was like about an artist, like bring it back, bring it back. I heard about a watercolor teacher in Colorado that people would travel all over the world to go do her like 12 week class every summer. And she had a rule that you could only talk about art it had to relate to art because otherwise you can really, there's so much anxiety right now. So I did feel a need to just keep the pace quick, but I think I've overdone that. 
Well, also, I, in your defense, I would say that you do a lot of preparation in advance. So, so you're ready. You're ready yeah. with the color palette. You're ready with the technique. You're already there. And the rest of us are going, wait. It's been really tricky because I have people in my Zoom Thursday class, the drop-in one, that are complete beginners, total beginners. And then I have people that are haters and, and they're just like, come on, keep it going. And then I'm like, slow down. So lately I record them and then I send people recording so they can watch it again. That's yeah. You know, it's kind of, I think it's good for me to mention that I've had some really big, um, some really big obstacles in my life, in my creativity. And I had a really traumatic childhood, very traumatic family. And painting and, and art making was kind of um, a way to survive. And then there was a point where I didn't want to have to have it to be my survival mode mechanism so i think while i was you know this goes back to your first question how did i switch from landscape to mixed media i think the landscapes were real achievements i think it's a very good i think they're really good i do really beautiful landscapes i'm very proud of them they're really skilled the mi the mixed media is more fun and connected to others and i always say i need 700 years to be an artist in this kind of mixed media world it's like i could make landscapes and try and you know sell them and have galleries and but the mixed media is just like fun. And I don't really know what's going to happen to it in 10 years or 20 years. And like it'll go into a landfill or something, and God forbid. But it doesn't even matter. I don't connect to it the same way. I'm not as, it's not like I, I have expectations. It's not about being permanent. It's about the process. It's about making, having fun, being with others. Boom. Yeah. Learning, and learning, exploring. And that, it all depends on what you want, right? If you want the fame or the the recognition or whatever the external right. acknowledgement is, which may or may not be connected to the process that you're talking about, which is that eternal exploration of what's next, what's here, what wants to go with what, and how do I adjust this, and problem solving for the joy of it. Not that the two have to be separate, but also it's a different, it's a different yeah. vibe to it. It is. And, you know, there's this wonderful artist I always talk about, Mark Bradford. He's this wonderful African-American artist who I, I really love so much. And he talks about relating to the materials as if they're alive, as if they're spirits. It's like you're in a collaboration with materials, especially with collage and mixed media and assemblage. You're sort of finding things and relating to them and you know and and that's the beautiful part of his work but i also urge people to you know what are the materials that rel you relate to like um what are the things that come into your life um mark bradford you know his mother was a hairdresser and there are all these little pieces of paper and so he made all these collages with pieces of paper and now he looks for things in his neighborhood in LA and they're often kind of billboards and old signs and he gets lumber out of the trash and makes things and it's very related to his neighborhood, his community, his, even his body. He's like very tall, he's like six, seven. So he makes big things that where he can really, you know, and it'll be interesting to see him get older because he's now in his late fifties. So it's gonna probably change. And I love, you know, like thinking about somebody like Matisse. He's cutting shapes in his 80s. He knew he was doing his masterworks. He knew it was like the, some of the greatest, his cutouts were some of the greatest things he ever made. He knew it. He was conscious of it way before other people were. He was just like, this is amazing. It feels alive. And he was so hampered by his physical ailments. So that's kind of fascinating. It really is. You know, I, it says to me that there's no age restriction yeah. or age barrier. You know, there's a, there's a commonly held belief that artists do their best work when they're younger. But how could that be if you were always continually willing yourself, making the, maybe willingness isn't the right word, maybe it's more surrendering to that flow that you were referring to that, right. that well, doesn't I mean, respect yeah. age. Uh, yeah, and then look at Basquiat. So he was he died at 27, I think. And then Matisse in his late 80s. But so it just differs. Yeah. I guess they say mathematicians reach their pinnacle in their 20s. 
but then Einstein. So it's like, it just depends. No rules. There's no rules with art. And I tell people that all the time because I, I teach, you know, certain formulas that I think are great. Like my limited palette, you know, to, to, to make art with like five, six colors or four colors. And it's very helpful to sometimes have a limited palette, but it's not a rule. And we are, you know, when I get my students going, they're like ponies. They're completely get out of the paddock and start raising hell. And I'll just say, do you want to share your work to somebody? And they say, well, I haven't really been following the class. I just got, went off on a tangent. And that's great. That's exciting to me when people there, it's like, I feel like teaching is like having all these little boats on a dock tied up and I unravel the little ropes and then I push the little boat away and then the current picks it up and then I kind of, if I can get people going, that's what I, that's my, what my aspiration. Well, you certainly do from what I can tell. We've got yeah. a people yeah. on the call. So if any of you would like to ask a question, just either raise your hand or unmute yourself. Hey, hi. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Alexandra. I'm Sue Carney. Um, I learned about you from Nina, who actually turned me on to collage in my art form. I'm, I'm an acrylic fluid artist, mm -hmm. and I, um, I'm really delighted to meet you and hear, hear you talk today. I've been a little intimidated to drop in on Thursdays because Nina tells me about the, <laughs> and so, but one day I'll, I'll, I'll summon the gumption and join you there. So thank you. I, I do, I pour on paper and cut my acrylic pores up for collage. Nice. nice. I know. So, so I like and, I like that piece behind you with the turquoise. It's really beautiful. I love that. Thank you very much. I was just thinking I'm going to paint over that canvas now <laughs> because I think I can do better. But who knows? Maybe I'll see it differently next time I look at it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm really glad I got to say hi. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, Nina. You're welcome. Yeah, so fun. Hi. Hi, Alexander. I'm Cindy Spence. Hi. Yes. I learned about you from Nina. I'm dying to take a class with you. Oh my God, are those Zoom classes still open? Yeah, I, they're open to anybody. They, people drop in, they're drop in there every Thursday at four o'clock on Eastern time. Okay, I love your work. I looked it up on the website. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely stunning. So everything that you did. The landscapes, are they gouache or? Um, they're a mix of acrylic and gouache. Oh, okay. Yeah, I used to be a very snobby oil painter, and I thought oil painting, you know, nothing was as good. And then, I don't know, I started using acrylics as a mixed media artist, and I really like them. I miss oil, but I still... Yeah, I'm just learning and playing. It's all about play for me, so... Oh, absolutely. It's all yeah. about play for all of us. Yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. deadly serious, because that, that can hurt. Yeah. Oh, that's not me at all. So <laughs> good. Thank you. I have a question for you, Alexander, which is about the, a lot of the art that it's emerging right now is all about social change, social upheaval. And I'm curious, although it's rather a broad question, I'm curious as to what you think about this, this ex way of expressing through addressing social issues. I know you've been You've used your own emotional experiences and you've channeled them into your artwork. I know grief, a lot of grief collages came out of work that you've done. I wondered if you would speak to that. Well, actually, I spent the month of January doing protest collages. This bubbled up in me and I could not not do it. And I did a big artist book. It was a 20 by 14 inches filled with protest collages using newspaper articles about all the past political year and then a name of an african-american who's been killed and um i just felt so passionately about this i can't tell you i just was like i did a whole series on george floyd and i'm involved in a neighborhood um we take a knee in my neighborhood every night at six and we're still doing it even in a snowstorm we do it and it it's only you know under 10 people but it's you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of political work. I do a lot of the postcards. I can, 
you know, for the, all the elections. I, I couldn't, I don't know. I felt an urgency to paint about George Floyd. I felt in, you know, and then of course I questioned my own place as a white person. And, but I've been, I don't know, I read past and I've been just reading you know, how to be an anti-racist. I just I feel this stuff is really important and bubbling up in me and whatever, you know, sometimes you can't ignore an idea. You might just like, I have to make this thing. I have to make these love letters to George Floyd's spirit. And I made all these letters to him. Here's one. They're right here. Okay. Just hold one up. I just took pictures of him and I, I just made all these collages about him. I did like 15 of these. You know, it's really sometimes you you can't ignore the flow. You, you get a you get this feeling like I want to make this thing. I don't know why I want to make this thing, but I want to make this thing. It's it's kind of like there was some wonderful musician who talked about driving on some highway in LA and then he heard a, a song and he said damn I, I can't stop right now couldn't you come back you know you had to go to a rest area and write down the, like that's the way it is it's like sometimes you just have to do something and you have to do a project and I often do a series like I filled up this book it took me a month and I showed it in my gallery for the month of February it was it was on exhibit I don't even, didn't get that much feedback on it. I don't know. Now it's here. The social, I think it's great to do social. I think we are social animals, so it's going to come in. I also think that somebody like Matisse, I always mention Matisse, people might think everything he did was about joy and beauty. Look at his cutouts. They're so joyous and beautiful, and they're on mugs, and everybody has a calendar, and Matisse calendar. In fact, this was World War II. His daughter was in an internment camp. He was separated from his wife. He had terrible physical problems. He had incredible depression. He couldn't leave the house. He created the cutouts because he wanted to make an internal garden inside his house. He made the swimming pool collages because he couldn't swim. So it's like artists do what's urgent to them. And we think maybe his work was just all about beauty, but it was actually, he was creating beauty to counter the tragedy in his life, which was, he was surrounded by. 1944 I mean amazing right whatever it, there's no wrong or right way to make art you might want to paint flowers like Amy Silman who's an incredible artist amazing she did a lot of flowers during the pandemic she's a fantastic painter or you might want to do portraits of people who have been murdered by police I don't know it it's just uh does that answer your question? <laughs> well, I mean, that's who you are. I mean, that's the that's such a lovable thing about you is that you are so passionate and you are willing to express whatever it is that wants that's knocking at your door. Right. Whether it's grief or outrage or wonder or confusion. Yeah. Is that yes. you're, you're not uh, editing what you put on? No, I sometimes do need a little more editing, but... I think after my father died, I was pregnant when my father died. And after he died, I did all these paintings about like, where did he go? Where is he? What happened? Like I, I was 31 and I, you know, I didn't, I had never had a death like that. I did a whole year of paintings one year in my fifties, maybe, or forties. They were all called, I am afraid. And yeah, I was doing some deep therapy at that time, but I was really in touch with a kind of basic mantra of my life, which is, I am afraid. And I was, I was working it out through my work. I'm actually a very brave person and I'm not that afraid anymore, but sometimes I am. Well, I think that's <laughs> being life's human, pretty, right? <laughs> yeah, life's pretty terrifying. And yet I see the great beauty in what you're doing is being willing to share that and not bottle it in or repackage it in a, an acceptable way, but to yeah. just say, this is it. This is who I am. This is what's occupying yeah. my mind and my heart. You know, another thing is that I've always, like I was once at a talk by an artist who was a sculptor and he was showing these incredible sculptures. They were abstract. They were like these, they kind of looked like bunkers. They were like these squat, abstract concrete forms and this guy was like 50 I was in my 40s then I think I was at the Vermont Studio Center and he was a visiting artist showing his slides and everybody was saying well what's the material on that and what's the size of that and can that one be outside and I was just like I just want I said what what happened to you like what's the story 
I wanted to know, I know that sometimes art, it's great if you don't know somebody's story because everybody can get their own story from every piece of art. But he said, well, actually, I went to Vietnam when I was 17 and I came back when I was 20 and I felt the need to make sculpture after that. And I was like, bingo, man, bingo. It was like, I'm not satisfied with just like, well, how tall is that piece? I want to know, like, I want to know. And I, I've had people say, you know, Alexander, you just bring too much personal stuff into the situation. Like, just, you're too emotional. You know, knowing that he went to Vietnam and was terrified off his butt, right? And then it's just like, I thought that was, it made me love his work. Yeah. How can you make it too personal? Well, there is that, you know, sometimes people are like, I don't want to know the story of the artist because I just want to, I have my own story I'm creating when I'm looking at their work. I don't need to know. I prefer my story to your story. Yeah. Different camps of belief systems. And yet any art is personal, unless so, it's so conceptual. But even then, it's a personal take on it, whether it's about social change or climate change or any number of the pandemic, anything that we're going through, it's still personal. Yeah, you know, who's that Chinese artist who's very famous that was arrested recently? He was going to have some incredible show. He does very conceptual stuff. He was going to have some big show. And then they, he was arrested on the way to the opening. And the opening was going to serve these crab hors d'oeuvres. And he ended up, I guess he got clay in prison, but he ended up making thousands of little crabs. Like he just made thousands of them while he was in prison for like a year. And I mean, it, it's so interesting, this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. It's great. I love it. It's so fascinating. <laughs> well, that is very personal. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that was what they were going to have at the opening he couldn't get to. And so then that became like yeah. his statement. Yeah. It's interesting. yeah. So we are awfully quickly up at the top of the hour. And I would love it if you would share some artistic wisdom with people who are listening or else um, you might call it something else what's worth okay so i have a, I have, a I have a louise recently taught a class on louise nevelson and she said that the quote is if you believe that the act of creation is living you don't demand perfection you only try to get closer to harmonics so i love that because it's like kind of like being an artist is a form of living and making things with your hands is feels like life. It's like life affirming. It's like taking a walk, it's like having a cat or a dog or a fish tank. It's like having a good meal or a picnic, it's like loving, bringing somebody a cup of tea. Like it's just, it's life affirming to make things, to cook, to the garden, to be a good cleaner. I don't know. Anything can be creative. So I love that. And then I also love her other quote, which says, Creating art is easy. Creating art in the world is very difficult. And I feel like that kind of sums up. Sometimes art feels free and wonderful and easy, but it's also really hard to live and to balance everything and to figure out how to have a job and how to make money and then to be creative and then to have relationships and take care of your body and do everything in one day and then do it again the next day. <laughs> So I love what you're saying, because the way I'm hearing it is that every act can be an act of devotion. Yeah. Where can people find you? My website is alexandrasheldon.com. And your current show is where? Oh, yeah. So um, my current show is at the Bromfield Gallery in the south end of Boston. And I'm going to be there all day tomorrow from 12 to 5 because I'm gallery sitting. And I have a one person show up. And these are paintings I did a few years ago in France that combine landscape and mixed media. Um, it's up for the month of March. But I'm also having a, a collage show in April that I'm curating with five artists, me included. It's going to be at the Catherine Schultz Gallery in Cambridge, which is at the Art Cambridge Art Association, Lowell Street. And that's going to be in for the month of April. I also do have some artwork at the Fuller Craft Museum until next July. And this is really cool because this is a show about Snow Farm and the Fuller Craft gave Snow Farm a show and I have five large collages and they're so beautifully exhibited because museums just do such an amazing job. Where okay, is the Craft? It's in Brockton, Mass. It's kind of an odd location, but it's a really cool museum. It's a beautiful craft museum. And I'm sometimes 
I'm always in the leagues with the crafters because I teach at Snow Farm and uh, there's so much glass and ceramics and, and then they sort of slip in collage and painting sometimes. So I'm, but I'm, I'm very proud of that show. It's a really beautiful show and it's up till July. That's so. great. And you're doing your weekly online Zoom yes, collage. I, I, do a, I have not stopped except on Christmas and Thanksgiving. I haven't stopped in one year doing my Thursday night class. It's, it's, it's four to six thirty, And you know, I do try to keep it extremely simplified. She's gonna laugh. <laughs> All right, because I'll try and keep keep it more streamlined. Oh no, do what you do because you do it so beautifully. Yeah, I have fun. The only thing is, it's kind of a large class. I can't give a lot of personal attention because I usually have a, about twenty five people in it. Yeah, well, but, it just attests to your popularity. I know I'm popular. It's true. I'm yeah. very grateful. I, I love what I do. So happy. Well, we're grateful for you. So thank you again for being on this call with me. Thank you so much, Nina. It was fun. It was a pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. So bye for now.